Hi everyone and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with Najahi Events. Now, if you're into cryptocurrencies, then surely you've heard of Ethereum. Well, today is a very special episode because we have one of the co-founders of Ethereum joining us from Canada. Anthony Delorio is a Canadian entrepreneur and a co-founder of Ethereum and an early investor in Bitcoin, a claim to fame that not many people have. Since then, Anthony has launched the blockchain company Decentral and the Jacks Wallet. He has also served as the first chief digital officer of the Toronto Stock Exchange. Now, despite the major financial success he has brought with him, Anthony made headlines this past year when he announced that he was quitting crypto. Due to the security concerns of high-level investing and a desire to focus his energy on philanthropy, Anthony joins me today to share his story, his decision to leave the crypto space, and hopefully give us some insights into what we can expect from him in the future. Cue the music, folks. We're going crypto. Anthony, thank you so much for coming to join us on the show today. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. For, for people that, that won't know who you are and really understand how a man like you got into the position that you got into, can you just take me back to, I don't know, let's go back to when you were at high school and finishing off there and what kind of things you were interested in and, and how that journey started for you? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity here to speak with you. Let's go back actually even further until I was, uh, when I was about eight years old. My dad brought home an, an IBM PC Junior. It was the first personal computer that I had. It was in the early 80s, I was born in 1975, so I think it was around eight years old uh, when he brought that home, and that, that really was a big marker in my life. Um, ever since I've been the computer guy, I've been the tech guy in the family. Uh, you know, when you, when, you, when you grasp onto something like that, uh, for me, my parents started putting me into, into camps for computers, and uh, it, it really was the, the thing that, that I leaned towards the most. That and sports growing up were kind of the two things. I played hockey since I was like four years old, and. Uh, soccer about the same age but but it was really that the computer coming home that day and and that was the thing that would be taken away from me when I when I wasn't being a good boy but uh, school wasn't something I really enjoyed that much um, I never liked being told what to do I was always uh, just just didn't like the concept of, of being told to do things and that kind of is something that's you know, to this day is a, is a common theme through my life and, and common common thread uh, for me uh, when I uh, uh, went into university, um, I went in for business. My dad was an entrepreneur. Uh, my dad was a, a creator, a problem solver, still is. Uh, uh, he, and he, the questioning of why was something that I think is really important in my life. And, and why is something like that? And is there a better way to do things? It's really the, the mindset of an entrepreneur, the mindset of an inventor, someone who likes to solve problems. And I, I think the, the two most things that, to this day that I've realized that I want to be is I want to be a leader and I want to be a problem solver and utilizing the skills I have in those two things in order to, to improve people's lives is kind of the, the, the thing that I realized that I want to do most and be in service of. But back then it was a, a marketing degree, a business degree, international studies is what I did. I grew up in Toronto, just a little bit north of Toronto um, in a little town called, called Richmond Hill. And well, not a lick, actually, it's a pretty big town now, but uh, not as big as Toronto. Is that near Barrie? Uh, yeah, Barrie's actually a little further north. It's on the way there, about halfway up to Barrie from Toronto, but I've always been here and in, in, the, in the Toronto area, a little bit on, in, the, in the suburbs of, of Toronto, that's where, I, that's where I grew up. So again, not really, I went to university because that's what you do in my family. You, you go to university, you, you get a degree, you, you do normal things. And that's, that's kind of something that never really lined well. And normalcy is not something that I strive to be. Um, and I think it's the individualism and, and it's actually 
the the creativity in individuals, which is the most important thing. And I think I've always had a, a, a um, never like to be in a group mindset. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more about thinking that the individual is the most important thing. And as soon as you start putting people in groups, uh, there's a tendency to lose the characters and qualities of, of individualism. And I think a lot today um, is, is revolves around these groupthink and mindsets and tribal tribal states, which have kind of come about. And and yes, and, and it's it's always a contradiction. Maybe we, we want to be in communities, and I think the humans are, are meant to be in groups like that. But it's it's when attention isn't put towards individuals, I think, where um, things can start get a little bit out of whack. So. Um, just, just the search for freedom was something always important for me, and again, it ties back to not being told what to do. Um, after graduating, I went to work in the marketing field uh, as a marketing director for a manufacturing company for a few years, and um, realized I, I don't like marketing. I've, I've never been really a salesperson that's trying to sell something or that wants to be associated with selling something for a profit without necessarily a motive that has a little more meaning. So I've always felt. Um, an understanding with marketing as a lot of it has to do with how can you convince someone to do something and maybe not necessarily something that they want to do but you have a goal to sell a product and it was something that I realized marketing wasn't for me and I had really only gotten to that field in business just because it was something to take at the university and I, I graduated but it was never something that I really felt that I got the most amount of value out of uh, going to university and um, I settled down working for the in the family business in the, in the 2000s so the mid 2000s, 2003, 2004, up to about 2007, 2008, and uh, the family business was manufacturing a, a patio sliding doors. It's a fam family business that my dad and, and his brothers and cousin had for for quite a while, and I learned a lot of things on the entrepreneurial side there. I, I didn't want to get into computers in school because that's where I, what I knew already, and, and I think being an entrepreneur and uh, was where where things could get exciting. And I never wanted to be a, really a developer in terms of a, a coder, but I like to manage teams and, and would, would, would want to be able to run the project where I would work with, with those types of people. So uh, in 2008, my dad and uh, his uh, brothers and partners decided to sell the business. And I had an opportunity there to think about what I wanted to do because I wasn't planning on working for the, the new owners. And I decided I want to do something kind of green focused and something technology focused. And I went into geothermal drilling. So uh, this is the geothermal drilling, not associated with providing energy in terms, but it's, it's, it's associated with uh, providing heating and cooling for, for residential and commercial buildings and using the earth's temperature and extracting temperatures from the ground in order to provide a much cleaner uh, system for, for, for providing uh, heating and cooling for, for different, different systems. So I bought a, this massive drill from Italy and I did some IKEA projects with my drilling company in, in Italy and brought the drill to Canada and started to do commercial projects and condos and things like that. And, it was my first example uh, of when kind of government started getting in the way with with uh, new technologies emerging and creating a lot of red tape and it ended up leading to an industry that, that couldn't flourish because of the amount of roadblocks that were put in place to do these technologies and they were already slow processes to do because of the drilling takes a long time but the paybacks were really good for the the, the buildings and um, so it, it was kind of my first example there of, and, and around the same time, uh, I was studying a lot of economics about what happened in the housing crisis and the financial crisis in the U.S. at the time. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, ran into this person called Peter Schiff, who was an economist and, and really a contrarian thinker and someone who believes in the Austrian school of economics and free markets and, and his way of thinking. And um, Peter had predicted what had happened with the housing crisis and the financial crisis. It, it's been something that he had been going on mainstream news talking about and being laughed off the stage of, you know, things are completely sound. There's no way that there's going to be a problem with it. 
And this is something just because of the way that he saw things and the way that he saw the economy and the way that he saw the, the booms and bust cycles associated with uh, the model of, of economics, uh, the Keynesian model of economics, uh, leads to these things. And you can, when you understand the way things work, it's easy to predict kind of what's happening. So I really started uh, um, correlating that with my, my sense of, of, of freedom, um, you know, being someone that really enjoys their freedom and striving towards being free. Um, in that time and between the 2000s up to then, there's a lot of talk about decentralized technologies. We had file sharing programs like Napster and Kazan, different ones that had emerged, all with centralized uh, systems, which eventually became things like BitTorrent. And so I, I'd known a lot about decentralized networks and systems prior to hearing about Bitcoin in 2012. But it really was a culmination of, a, of, of, of my first decade of life getting into computers, the second decade of my life really get, connecting with others via modems before the internet. And then when the internet came about, uh, that was a big part of my life. And then getting into entrepreneurship and then studying economics, which really was like a perfect storm when I heard about Bitcoin in 2012. Um, I was searching for a more freedom-oriented podcast because I was listening to Peter Schiff's podcast every day. And, just really, really digesting and understanding this different way of thinking about economics and thinking about uh, value creation and, and thinking about entrepreneurship. And uh, and I stumbled upon this podcast and on the first show, they talked about Bitcoin and I had no idea what that what that was. And um, from that day forward, it's really, a, you know, I just immersed myself in it and wasn't sleeping for weeks, just digesting this and trying to figure out why for three years I hadn't heard about this thing that was starting to to, to, to people starting to talk about. And it, it really was something I grasped, understood right away. And some of the, the main features that, that I took very quickly was these technologies are empowering people to be in control of their digital lives. It's, it's, it's giving them the ability to get away from the clutches of business models, which are centralized systems and, and with companies that, that kind of sit in the middle between individuals. And that as we move along, we're gonna see more and more peer-to-peer -peer systems where individuals can connect directly with individuals and removing a lot of the non-value-added participants from the equation or the very costly participants in the equation like we see in finance or like we see in so many other business models and sectors um, and I, I just grasped it right away and it's very rare I think um, to, to, to see something and especially in Bitcoin you'll hear a lot of stories with people that heard about it and then dismissed it and then came back later on me I was just I got it just because of my background and the different things that I've been involved in so um, after studying and learning a lot about it, I looked for a community in Toronto and there just wasn't one because over time you want to start connecting with others of something that you're interested in and it was a perfect opportunity whereby with the internet I was a little too young just going through university to really be able to utilize that uh, to, to my advantage in terms of um, creating ideas and, 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 and building but this was a perfect time for me. It, it was you know coming off of, of starting up many companies uh, coming up of the, the the economics studying, which very much aligns with Bitcoin. And it was the perfect time for me to create a community that didn't, didn't exist. So I started the Toronto Bitcoin Meetup Group in 2012. At my first meetup, there was about eight people. One of them was Vitalik Buterin, who later I went on to found Ethereum with and was the, the initial idea behind Ethereum. Uh, a few other prominent people in the space, but those meetups ended up growing to hundreds of people, thousands of people. Along the way, I set up a national nonprofit called the Bitcoin Alliance of Canada to help in certain goals of, of bringing this, uh, this technology to the media, uh, working hopefully with governments to, to embrace the technologies because I saw how powerful this was going to be. I, I equated it to what the internet did. This was going to do for value, what the internet did for information, democratizing it. Um, so it was something I was very passionate about. And I thought building out a community and a network in this space was going to lead to major opportunities for me down the road. And, 
Eventually, I was touring around the world and doing conferences and representing Canada as the executive director of this nonprofit that I'd set up, and um, and then started building uh, wallets. Um, very early on, I equated the wallet as the interface that, similar to what the browser is for the internet, it's the way that people can manage and move their value and be in control of their own value. And I started building it and partnering up with a gentleman who was a developer and. Uh, we we first started with with uh, an, an exit that we did, and then started building the wallets. And then um, Ethereum white paper was presented to me in, in late 2013 by Vitalik Buterin, who I'd gotten to know through the events that I was doing and by traveling and some of the work he was doing. And I validated by bringing in a gentleman called Charles Hoskinson, who I'd get, gotten to know and showed him that paper. Um, another gentleman called uh, Joseph Lubin, uh, who operates a company called Consensus now, and of course Charles Hoskinson does Cardano now, but eight of us, initially five, got together as the founding team, along with so many other people, um, got together to, to start Ethereum, and I, I funded it with the uh, first exit that I did. I had the capital to, to keep it going until we raised from 9,000 people around the world uh, $18 million to become the largest crowdfunded product of all time at the time. And uh, that was kind of the, the genesis of me getting into that space. And now I run a company called Decentral. It's a, it's, a, it's a tech software company that builds wallets and interfaces and infrastructure for this whole decentralized movement that connects people and empower people to be in control of their money, their communication, their identity. Three things that I think are very important to be owned by an individual and not held in centralized systems by, by other companies that uh, basically don't allow you to be in control. And that's kind of in tune with the freedom side of things that I've always been a big proponent of. Wow. So in summary, I was, I'm five years older than you. So in summary, I was racing around on my BMX after my mum and dad bought me a ZX Spectrum for Christmas. And I decided to park that because it was too much like hard work and you decided to use your computer to learn and uh, we went on different trajectories. I'm, qu I'm quite good on a BMX though. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so I understand that that part of the journey and, and, and it seems pretty logical as you think it through. Do you, do you, when, when, I, when I kind of break that down, to me one of, the, one of the most important points must have been forming that group of people where you could get together like-minded people that you could talk about this subject matter that, that there was either ignorance, naivety, or no, no information to most of the public about. Yeah, yeah. Was that, did, did that, was that one of those times? It's, it's, it's many different things that have to come together. I mean, you, you, to me, um, through your life, you're building up tools, you're building up um, different aspects of things that, that can enable you to do things and definitely community and building up a social network or building up a network uh, is really important. It's one of those capitals that I say as part of your tools. You've got, you know, social capital, you've got wealth capital, you've got knowledge capital, all these types of capital need to come together in order for you to be able to to, to be a creator and, and, to, and to build things. And it was definitely that, that the, the initial decision to set up that group and then set up more groups and become kind of a center of gravity here in, in Toronto and then through Canada and then getting to, to know my network uh, globally was definitely a major aspect of being able to be immersed with people that are like-minded and have different skill sets and different and similar philosophies and come together and decide how you want to proceed because uh, that's where you're gathering information and understanding what trajectory you want to do. And, for me, it was very clear that Ethereum was something that when Metallic brought it to me and I was able to validate it, that this is something that I wanted to put my money into, my time, my attention to get off the ground because what we were proposing was a, 
a, a platform that enables for the almost removal of middle layers and, and the ability for individuals to connect with other individuals using code and mathematics and contracts to execute systems um, that, that, that had to be necessarily be done in the past by, by large central authorities. And that's really the, was, the, was the premise of what we were bringing out, was the ability to, to look at business models, to look at different industries and say, you know, is there a way that technology can fill the gap here to provide more trust, more transparency? All these positive things that, that can emerge from it, and um, can, it, can it provide new ways for, for uh, businesses to become more efficient? Can it become more ways to realize that the old ways of doing things maybe are only serving a few people? Can it democratize uh, value to people, and can it make it um, done in a way that's open source and that people can build and create amazing things? And that's what we were able to accomplish to the point that now it's in the you know, hundreds of billions of dollars, is that $18 million, um, that we raised in capital. Uh, has has now turned into a market value of hundreds of billions, and um, it's really fantastic. I'm just very blessed to be part of what what we did there, and, and a small piece of what we did there is, is what I was. But it, there's been literally thousands and thousands of people that contributed to take Ethereum where it is right now, which is second only to Bitcoin. And when you look back on it and raising nine thousand people raising that that amount of money, were you gobsmacked and surprised, or did you expect that to happen? So it's it's part of a, a system of crowdsourcing. It's a bunch of different things you bring together, like gamification and crowdsourcing models, in order to get as many stakeholders in the mix as you can. Is the way that I like to look at it. You, I, my my kind of thesis is that um, if you can create winning solutions for as many people as possible, as many stakeholders as possible, that's how movements are created of aligned people who realize that by coming together, their lives get better. And too many business models and too many times in this world, it's, it's the very few that are, are enabled or the very few that, that can have the wins. And a lot of times it's not even at the expense of others. And it's, it's business models in tech that I think are a lot like that. Uh, you have business models that rely on advertising, which I think is the main source that leads to misinformation. Uh, you have models of collecting user right information, which eventually ends up getting uh, exposed or hacked in, in from centralized systems and people's information is out there and that's used to monetize and it's used to create other situations. So it's the deficiencies of models that I think that lead to a lot of the problems the world has. And when you can do things like create stakeholders of vested interest and get as many as you possibly can and you're doing it in ways that are empowering people and you're doing it in ways that people are aligned, it's a much better approach. It, it doesn't have a lot more of the fighting mechanisms. It has people coming together because everybody's being served. And that's really uh, something that, that we, you know, tried to get into place back then. That's the reason we wanted to crowdsource in order to get as many people uh, part of the project as possible. And it's something that I do nowadays, even when I do uh, my problem solving models that I've been able to develop. It's really how do you turn as many stakeholders into winning situations and try to turn the world as a stakeholder in what it is you're doing and try to get movements created of like-minded aligned people that feel that by joining you, their life gets better. That's and, and think a little differently from the way traditional systems work that maybe disclude too many people and lead to their change and disruption that happens because they haven't figured out how to create situations where more people are being served. And that's something that's really I'm passionate about and it's something that I want to take my models to to see how we can create better business models and situations to serve more people and to be of service to the world. It's fantastic when you think about it. Take, take me back on that journey a little bit. Were there times that you went on that path where you yourself were really convinced about it you know there was no doubt in your mind but you had so much pushback and resistance from different parties along the way that maybe cast seeds of doubt in your mind or maybe you thinking you know is it me have i got this right or maybe i might have got this wrong was there any part of that that happened to you yeah i think there's there's ups and downs in my life a lot um there's times that you know what 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 
what strengthens you is, is the failures and what strengthens you is the times where you maybe lose some certainty or you're, you're learning new skills and you're, 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 you know, embrace failing sometimes is always good. And every opportunity you have is a learning lesson, no matter how it actually unfolds. But there was these, you know, you get these market swings in our space that's been, you know, being in since 2012, these ups and downs where you think you have the capital to do something and then the markets turn drastically and you've got to kind of change your mode to conserve more or do things. Or uh, when we raised the capital with Ethereum, that 18 million actually turned into 9 million because the markets turned down just when we actually collect the money. So we actually only had 9 million to work with than the 18 million at a certain time. So there were definitely times when you're like, things are changing and we're such a fast paced environment that things are always changing. In fact, if I had like one phrase for Ethereum, it was things change. Day to day, whether it be based on regulatory constraints or whether it be based on legal constraints or different things that emerge, you've got to consistently be adapting and changing to the scenario. And we also had, you know, at one time, eight founders. And these were people that didn't really know each other very well. And getting decisions made from people that were from different countries and different backgrounds and different maturity levels and different philosophical beliefs was super challenging and, and very, very difficult um, that, that just... You, you, you have to constantly be changing and adapting. And there's times definitely when you're, 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 you're wondering, you know, is this the right decision? Even for me to join partners was something I'd learned way back in the day I didn't want to do. But it was such an opportunity there for me that it was some, sometimes you have to change things and say, okay, this, this can be so big and I can contribute to this. And I know that there's challenges with, with this and I understand it, but we got to go ahead and do this anyway. So. Definitely there's times when, when you're thinking, am I doing the right thing or where do I want to go? And even to this day, you got to keep challenging yourself with those things, at least I do. You know, the move to decide that, that I don't want crypto to be my full-time thing and where I want to go in life is, is something that I'm, I'm constantly uh, refining and, and, and changing. And it's, it's a progression that, I, that I've been able to do, always in the, in the positive fashion, I think, and taking my learnings and, and adapting. And all of it bases around how can I be of service to the most amount of people in the world is where I kind of have settled down how do I do that? I use my problem-solving mechanisms to, to do that. And why do I do it? It's because it makes me happy to be in service to other people. So that's where I kind of sit right now. And the crypto space is a small piece of that for me. It's, it's, a, it's a tool in my tool belt that I'm good at and that I know, but it's not the be-all and end-all. And it actually has some issues that, that, might, that, that aren't so good to be in as well due to the risk and security elements and things like that are, are some things to take into consideration too. I interviewed a guy called Metacovin recently who's a crypto billionaire that in april bought the most expensive nft i think it was 69 million dollars did you did you see that yeah is that the one from people the guy that bought the uh... yeah he bought but yes right he bought people yeah yeah so funny enough he was part of a company called bit access he was from ottawa and he sold me my first bitcoin atm the second one in the world back in the day um so he was uh, i've known him since uh, 2014 and then the funny time is also I introduced people to NFTs back in 2000 and oh my God, like three, four years ago. And he didn't just get into it till actually last year. And he messaged me last year saying, hey, I'm getting into these, these NFTs. So yeah, I, I know the guy that bought it and I actually know uh, people and had a tie into both of them. But yeah, that was, a, that was a lot of money to be spending on a, on a digital item that you could put up on your wall and anybody could put up on their wall. Yeah. Well, I, I said to him, why did you buy it? He said, I had to. He said it, it was my duty to. He said, I got into Bitcoin because when I first heard about Bitcoin, everybody was laughing at it. And I thought to myself, if everyone's laughing at it, there's got to be something to this. And this was at a time where this kid, this kid didn't have any money. It wasn't like he, he, had, he came from a wealthy background or anything. He had nothing. He was using his buddy's uh, laptop with his own USB stick to, to do his coding and stuff. And uh, he, he said to me, I had to buy it. He said, I'm so committed and so believe in the metaverse 
that I want to create a home for the assets that I've got in the metaverse. And then we started talking about the differences that, uh, of opinion and the people, even to this very day, they have around the whole crypto space. You know, you've got some people saying, oh, I should have got in 10 years ago. And then you've got other people saying, oh, you know, I, I can't understand it, so I'm going to stay away from it. And it's like, what we have to do is rather than thinking about what's different about people, we have to try and think about what's similar. And if we look for things that are similar, then we've got something to build on and we've got something to build relationships with and, and, and try and give people a better understanding of what's going on. I think to this very day, well, no, I know. I tell you what, I did, I did a post this morning in my car driving back from the gym and I said exactly this. How many of you have been saying on social media that you wish you got into cryptocurrency 10 years ago and you didn't? Well, now you're seeing the next wave, okay, and you see something called NFTs and you're not investing in those. And that's right at the beginning of that journey. So what is it? You just want to be able to moan about the fact you didn't get into something early on, okay? Or are you going to go and get stuck into this stuff now? I just find it really interesting, the psychology of human beings. And it's like, learn about it, like at least uh, get the knowledge about it. Maybe not even in, in take the dive into it necessarily, but at least learn and try to understand it and speak to other people about it maybe to, to, to get the, because it's about understanding and, and a lot of stuff in our space is very difficult to grasp. So if you haven't maybe learned about Bitcoin even, and now getting in the NFT space, it might become even more challenging. So I think it's just about a matter of just under, trying to understand things and then deciding how to get involved maybe if it's something that you're passionate about. But yeah, I mean, I try to encourage people to just just learn, learn and hopefully get trusted sources of people that you can listen to that are going to be able to help you in your in your journeys, so whether it be in this or any other topic, really. It's interesting, you know, that, that I had a guy called Josh Riddit on the show and Josh has got a business called Easy Crypto Hunter. He's, he's, a, he's a crypto miner. But a lad from Manchester, working class lad from the north of England, sat and just explained things in for dummies, basically. He made it really simple to understand that the amount of people that came to me afterwards and said, ah, now I get it. <laughs> and I think it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's almost like some people believe there's a secret language the crypto world speaks to keep them away from understanding. But I think if you're absolutely right, take time to learn and really learn, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? You get a bit more educated and you decide to stay away and go and buy another buy-to-let property. But yeah. if you, you know, it's the worst thing. If you do, then you can see the wonderful possibilities that are coming our way um, with how this technology is moving us on. It also needs people that are going to be able to break it down, as you said, in ways that are digestible by a large swath of the population because uh, it's very easy to go online and just uh, have people get lost in things that they don't know what to believe. And it's, it's very challenging in that sense. And I try to break down what I think Bitcoin is. The greatest thing that it brought us is for the first time ever, you can have something digital and it can't be duplicated. That's really kind of sums it up is, is for the properties of money, uh, it has to have certain qualities like scarcity and fungibility and different things. And if you can create something out of nothing and duplicate it, which is what digital brought to the information age, is the ability to create an email and send it to someone else, a digital copy. And it's great for that. But for you talking about money and you're talking about anything before Bitcoin failed because you could create a digital copy of it. And Bitcoin introduced a system where you couldn't create a copy of a digital item. And then I could send that digital item to you and I don't have anymore. And I know that the digital item is fixed and limited supply and it has a utility and value. And it, it's, it's not something that has banking hours and it's something that you can send globally to anyone around the world. And when people are accepting it and they realize that it's less friction and it's easy, easy to use because the, the infrastructure is being built out better, that's why it's, it's been picking up. And, and it's really because of that major thing of creating a digital asset that can't be duplicated. And, and then you have NFTs now that are digital assets that, that can't be duplicated, but they're also non-fungible, which means that 
like a dollar, you have a hundred cents, and each cent is worth everything, every other cent. It's it's fungible. That's a that's another property of money. With an NFT, it's it's a unique individual collectible kind of thing. So you only have one of it, and that's what makes even more scarcity to it. So NFTs are giving the ability for people to create these scarce, unique, collectible items and allowing creators to be empowered to be able to to let's say monetize their artwork or monetize their their music or or there's so many different things that are now people are being are being are been opened up due to a technology that Ethereum brought to market with NFTs and now the NFT space is is getting super hot and again you're going to have now situations where maybe it gets a little overheated and you're going to have it try to figure itself out and really see where the value is because you know that 65 million dollar thing is it's 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 an image that I can just put on my wall but I don't own it and I think it's about the some people have that they, they want to own it. It's a collectible. Now, I'm not into collecting things, really, but some people are. So I'm not going to spend $65 million on something that I can just also just take a picture of and put on the wall. But people love collectibles, and this is what it's kind of opened the door to, and it's really empowering creators with the ability to now start monetizing or start figuring out ways and avenues that they didn't have access to before, maybe because there were larger centralized authorities that were kind of controlling things. And you see what's happening with the streaming platforms, with the Spotify's, and you end up with these business models sometimes that people aren't being served and people start saying, hey, I'm, I'm not really feeling I'm with what I'm creating here. I'm really getting what I should be. And these technologies are starting to open the doors to that. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the byproducts of people kind of learning about it is that they start to learn about real money. They start to learn about the dollar. They start to pay attention to, you know, when they hear about the dollar uh, being reprinted and more and more currency being made available and they start to learn about how, the impact of inflation. I think for a lot of people, they're very naive to that. And so this has brought in a whole new understanding of what's actually going on with money. And it's like, hold on a minute, I didn't realize that before. Now I know that. That sucks, you know. That's why, that's why something is doubled more expensive than it was last year. Ah, that's called inflation there. And understanding the history of money and what makes sound money. And, and these are all the things that I was studying with economics before I got into Bitcoin was, you know, what, what do you do to, with this solution where governments can print and print and print and create inflation and now what you have is worth less and, uh, and what happened in the past when, when paper dollars back, uh, way back when were realized that if it's, if it's not backed by something and with Bitcoin it's backed by mathematics, it's, it's backed by the technology that you know how much there will be in the future and you know how much there is now. But with traditional currencies and government currencies, after Nixon took the U.S. off the gold standard, has been more of a situation where governments can just print more and more, and that leads to a lot of the booms and bust cycles that we see. It leads to this inflation and and leads to these things. So yes, definitely, people understanding more about the history of money and understanding about money is really important. I think. Yeah, I think another couple of things that are gonna gonna change. I mean, I know, we can see the exponential growth on that, so we can understand that. But I think when El Salvador did what it did and brought the currency in, it made a few people go raised an eyebrow. I don't think it was enough. I think, it, but it raised an eyebrow. But I think when Nigeria and Zimbabwe and some other countries start to take this current because their own their own currency is is almost non-existent in terms of its value. I think when you start to get a number of countries, the dominoes go, and all of a sudden I think it then becomes something that people can no longer ignore or put to one side. And when it gets to that state or that place, I think you're going to have no option but to learn about it, really learn about it. Agreed. And I think that, that's, that, that for me is the time. Agreed. It comes about because of the deficient systems that are in place right now and people understanding or thinking that there's a better way to do things and this is where technology comes in. and. Uh, technology a lot of times helps to fix problems. It also leads to problems as well. But 
I think in this situation, people are understanding that uh, they're not happy with what they've got, and here's an opportunity. And as as more testing grounds come out, I think it will lead to a small snowball effect. It's interesting, you know. I, f I find that there's people have you know re really short memories. There's many examples over the years of banks going bust and people losing their money. Now I know in the, the US you have your F FDIC approved. In the UK we have something as well which protects some of the money. But in some other countries, whether that's Cyprus after the crash, you know, my parents live in Cyprus. Banks went bust there. Greece, uh, Russia, uh, uh, other Eastern European countries. It's happened. The bank goes bust, and whatever you've got in your account's gone. It's like gone. They're very short-term memories over remembering that, but they'll all remember. Well, hold on a minute. You know what happened with Bitcoin or cryptocurrency recently? That company went bust, and this happened. And oh, hold on a minute. It was hacked, and so eh, well, you've got to be careful. It's like, well, hold on a minute here. Let's just have a look in history. Let's have a look at what happened in the past. You know, if you, have, you see what's been going on, it's not too dissimilar. Shit does happen from time to time. Yeah, and, and things have value. I mean, banks have value. I, banks came about because people were concerned about their safety and they felt by like putting it in their, save, their, their, their money somewhere else, they can kind of uh, pass off that safety fact so they're not walking around and getting robbed every day. So banks do, for, do have a service. So it's not black and white. And, and uh, even you have the debate in exchanges and you have uh, self-custodial wallets, which is what I build. Uh, but I, I, I'm, a, I'm not a believer in that really the black and white. There's a lot of gray area in between and, and there's, there's different, different choices is, is what's, what's great to have choice. So it could be very well uh, someone that owns a lot of Bitcoin may want to say that, you know, I'd rather my money be in a bank maybe because it's safer uh, to have someone else uh, guarding it for me uh, than me being in control of it myself. So, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's educating and understanding the different options, different choices, but I do like it that there is different options and choices yeah. out there. Talk to me about why you pulled away because of security concerns, because that was big news last summer, wasn't it? So you coming away from it and, you know, a founder of Ethereum is coming away because of security concerns. It's, that's what the red tops will say, you know. There's a story behind it, but the red tops will say that and everyone will go, ah, what does that mean? Well, I mean, there's you're limited in what you can put in a headline, right? And it's 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 shown time and time again that headlines are in, in the in the models to make money for advertisers and media. It comes down to how can I create that sexy headline that's going to get someone to open up that message in order to read something and see the advertiser. That's that's the model. So uh, more and more, I find uh, unfortunately, but it's just it is what it is. There's there's headlines that maybe don't capture the whole uh, statement of of the actual truth and. Um, there, there could be 15 reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing, but that's not going to be listed in, in, in the headline. So I think particularly the, the one publication went down that journey, and even though that wasn't the main reason, they maybe did that for other reasons, the editor, in order to get more of a, a more people opening up that, 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 uh, that news article. So security is something that's always been, that I've been aware of. Um, the, the tools we build empower people to be in control of their money, communication, and identity is the way I like to say it, but with that becomes a lot of responsibility as well and you are becoming your own bank. So you can imagine um, that, that, that it needs, needs to be something that people consider that, that when they are their own bank, there's uh, certain other people that might understand that and recognize that there's potential ways there to try to extract that from someone and that your money is not safe in a bank because you are in control of it. So it's again, back to the double-edged sword type of, of thinking. It's, 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 it's not binary, there's a lot of gray area. And for me, um, what do I want to do in this world? I, I think I've talked about it. I want to be a leader that solves problems and I want to use the models I have to solve problems in order to, to tackle larger things. And it's not about the be it all end all being crypto. So it's a small part of what I am. And, and, and the more I'm associated on that side of things, 
uh, even in, in my company, we build wallets that don't actually hold customer funds. Like we never take custodianship, but we have billions of dollars that are being managed in our product by our users. And each individual user has their own keys. So there's no centralized server that's storing all of these keys. That's the way we develop the software. It's each individual device of our user has the key on their device and we don't have it. So, but even in that sense, there's still ways to potentially, you know, people try to cause harm and it's just not at the time and age and that I would want something at some issue with my family to be kind of dealing with. So my idea is I want to solve bigger problems and where I want to use crypto to where it makes sense might be a possibility. But in general, what I'm good at is solving problems. And what I want to showcase is that these problems that are being solved don't necessarily even need crypto a lot of the times, but it just needs better way of thinking of things. It needs better principles, tools and processes to to carry it out. And that's more what I want to bring to the world. So the shift was kind of a notice that um, there's more to, to me, there's more to what I want to focus on, and there's always progression and there's always uh, evolution. And that evolution for me is to, is to serve more people with what I'm good at, and that's solving problems that make people happy and improve people's lives. And that's where I want my attention to go. So um, there was a number of different reasons. And if you put it down to percentages, maybe it was a smaller percentage that was to do with the security aspect. More is to do that I want to do greater, bigger things that, um, that, that, that may go beyond, that, that, that will probably and well go beyond Bitcoin or crypto but might utilize that as needed if that's required in a certain solution for what I want to work on. Okay, good. So let's talk about philanthropy then and talk about that in conjunction with philanthropy. So what kind of projects have you seen that have caught your eye, you've got involved in, you've started to identify there's a problem and, you, and you're able to make a difference? Share some of those with me, please. Sure. So some of the projects I'm involved in right now, sustainable food, um, I was investigating uh, getting involved in Formula E, which is the, the formula, the electric racing league for, for the Formula One. Just the understanding that, that the biggest thing that, that I really attach to is, is business models and the deficiency of current business models and how I can have an impact to create better business models that lead to more people being served than just a few. And any sector to sector right now, you've got a few people, whether it be um, these gatekeepers or platforms that use, use systems that month after month have to bring money back to their investors and generally it's done at a squeezing level where where people are not thought about it how do we can how can we serve 100 percent of the population how can we do things that are going to provide wins for more people and a lot of times it comes because there's not enough problem solving mechanisms in place to be able to think differently and think how can we create more stakeholders that have more wins for what it is we're doing rather than let's say we're only serving 10 percent which is ourselves right now and 90 percent of the world are not really aligned with what we're doing and then month after month, we've got to keep changing things, whether it be in the food space, uh, worse ingredients or using ingredients that are cheaper because it's you're able to get more profits out of it. But in time, that comes back to bite you on the ass. So my passion is really how can we look at business models and do things differently? And with my company, when we started uh, back in 2014, uh, we have principles. Our principles that we never want to hold or, or have access to user funds. I don't want to be a custodian. I want the user to be empowered, to be in control of his own money. So. We're going to build the tools that empower people, not use business models that take, whether it be their information or whether it be a custodian of their of their money and then have to protect it in ways and use business models like advertising or user collection of information to monetize. And that's where so many tech companies have gone. But it's led to a lot of the the, the issues that I think the world has today. Um, advertising models are basically, I think, lead to a lot of the misinformation and spreading of fake news around the world. I think it's because advertisers um, are attracting unsophisticated people down journeys and paths and rabbit holes for some type of usually monetary outcome or gain. 
or to create a tribe of people together that that um, can carry out a mission or a goal that they're they're trying to. I think it's a massive problem. I think it's the and it's, it all ties back to the business models that have been utilized that lead to that. And these tech companies that say, well, this is all we know. We don't know how to make money. We don't. You know, we we provide a service and we expect something in return, which is usually either. Uh, people's information, uh, which eventually could be sold or it could be leaked, or it's it's eyeballs on on advertising advertisers' ads, and the more we can get, we don't care to really be seeing what's real, what's not. That's kind of leading to this tribalistic state, this us versus them mentality um, that that's arisen. And I think there's a there's a movie called The Social Dilemma that kind of brings that really to the forefront. Um, there's and and I and I equate a lot of these 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 models to how I saw the banks and, and the fine and finance back in the day ten years ago with these gatekeepers or these these people that are not thinking differently and thinking how to serve more people and thinking uh, five years ahead. If we continue to do this, where are we going to be five years from now? And unfortunately, a lot of these models have gotten into positions where they can't change those models and but it's causing harm. And I, I kind of see a lot of tech these days and a lot of tech companies as kind of the antiquated models, these kind of legacy systems. And I really would love to bring forward better ways of looking th at things using my frameworks. And it's pretty simple. It's, it's, it's how do you identify as many stakeholders as you can and how do you figure out how to create winning situations for more people where they feel like by them joining you in your mission, their life gets better. That's, it's, it's, it's basically do things that are serving more people because the more people on your side, the less friction you're going to have, the less you're fighting. If you can figure out ways to create wins for your competitors and present them with something that we're all winning from here, isn't that a better approach than to say, let's try to destroy these guys and take them out of business and then you create enemies. So my philosophy or my way of doing things is really to kind of bring people together with the ultimate goal of creating movements of aligned people towards objectives and goals where we feel like everybody's being part of this winning situation and we're not excluding people and really it just takes more leadership and problem solving and thinking and this is what the crypto space is so good at the creators and 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 people in our space that have developed projects such as ethereum's uh, satoshi with his thinking on, on creating bitcoin was about recognizing that there's an underserving uh, amount of people here and technology can come into play meshed with principles and meshed with new ways of doing things to create better solutions for more people. And that's what we've been trying to achieve for a very long time. Have you ever thought about going into politics? Yeah, I've thought about it, but it's it's it's, it's not something I can see myself myself doing. I'm, I'm happy to, I love working with people that can maybe, uh, things that I'm saying have value. Um, I, I wanted to- well, It's people like you saying what you say and believing mm. what you believe are the people that become change makers. Yeah, I, I definitely want to be change maker. Yeah, I, I want to be like change making is, is one thing, but also being able to to uh, inspire people in terms of leadership roles, where potentially it's not it's 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 getting to children. It's it's understanding how do we create better leaders, right from and problem solvers right from very early on. That's what I want to be inspiring and doing to create the next generation potentially of politicians, the next generation of leaders, uh, is something that I that I like to do. I, um, you know, and I'll never, I'll never dismiss saying I'm not going to do this, but have I thought about it? Yeah, I have. And it's not the point of my life that I would want to be doing something like that right now. My mission and goal is to build case studies right now of using my formulas and frameworks in order to look sector by sector and be able to create change that inspires Canadians right now. Uh, my goal is to start local and then think global and what can I do here in Canada to assist with, you know, taking what we're good at here, which is we're super multicultural. 
we have so many people that have come from all over the world that have different skill sets and different things of something that, that a lot of other countries don't have. That Canada's that melting pot here. We also have a humbleness to us, I think, that helps us to say, let's share what we've got with other people rather than we're the best and we want to control and keep it all together here. And I think it's those aspects of things that I'd like to, and, and we have other issues and problems that need to be dealt with here, but I'd like to be a catalyst for working with Canadian companies and sectors here that we can eventually create great frameworks to take to the rest of the world. And that's really what I'm inspired to do is I think I can take my models and it's a general problem solving formula that I go through on any sector to come up with better solutions for things. And I kind of want to build my case studies to be able to get the credentials of what I've been doing. And I've already done it with things like Ethereum and what I've done with Decentral and coming up with different business models that work without creating the, the, the complications and deficiencies that, that normal ones do. To be able to put together packages where we're feeling I can create more jobs here or help to create more jobs and better industry and then take what we've learned to the rest of the world because it has to be done in stages too. So politics I have thought about. My brother was a politician, um, but but I think for now I'm on, I'm on, a, on a mission to to to, um, to take, take my models and, and be able to showcase what I can do with them and in ways that uh, I can hopefully create better value and, and, and help people and assist to, to kind of grow Canada right now and then with the eventual goal to how that can take on the world. So. Mm, absolutely. It's interesting, you know, when there's businesses that compete with each other and then there's times of panic or times of setbacks come in, and they start to talk to each other and find ways forward. You see that I mean, aviation industry is probably a good example over the last couple of years. They know they're all at each other. And then it's like, right, we're, we're in the shit together now. Maybe we should have a chat. Yeah, and let's, and let's take that even one step further. But then it's also realizing that doing that in a way that's not just going to work for yourself, but how do you do that in a way and come together that's going to work for the greater good? So there's a lot of times you may see those groups that are going to start forming in a protectionist mechanism in order to protect their industry. But if they can also think, well, how do we come together to not just protect ourselves, but how do we do things that are going to bring more people on board with what we're doing to create more allies in what we're doing? And I think that's the next level of thinking, not just let's come and figure out how we're going to work it ourselves. Because sometimes if you can do things that are going to help more people, they join you on your mission, then you have these massive movements that can get created there too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's an undertaking, but an undertaking you've demonstrated that you, you're more than capable of pulling together based upon what you've achieved so far in life. Are you, are you proud of what you've done? Yeah, yeah, I, I can say I am. I can say that I'm also, like anybody else, uh, I go through struggles and I go through times when I feel like, like, like I can get overwhelmed with what I'm taking on and what I'm doing and I need to, you know, my last few years have been, how do I create that consistency of wanting to do the things I want to do to create the massive amounts of impact in the world, but also being able to, to be able to, to stay stay um, in, in a good balance. It's all about maintaining balance. So, uh, I've, I've learned things over the years that really helped me out. I'm a very early riser. I'm up at, you know, between three and four every morning. I go to bed super early. I need that time and peace and quiet in the morning. I do my meditation. Uh, I really have time to, to by myself to really be in my head and be mindful. And that helps me when I have a very busy and hectic day that I got to keep underway. But there's still challenges and times where I can, um, as the world can kind of take over things and you start slipping from your, from your, um, your, um, you know, your, 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 your daily schedules and things that you can be overtaken because it's, 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 we're constantly being bombarded with information. Our brains were not equipped to develop as fast as technology and information has been. And it's very challenging and this is leading to a rise in, in um, you know, different mental conditions and health conditions for people and that, that can't, um, that aren't able to keep that balance. And that's another area that's really important to me is, is how do we ensure that, that as um, the, the, the continued growth of stimuli that is hitting us exponentially grows, 
how are we maintaining people in the mines that are going to be able to keep that balance? And I think it's a massive problem. Another one that's very, very dear to me as well. And so, yes, I, I'm proud of what I've done. I'm still always challenged with how can I do the things greater that I want to do. And, and the fear sometimes of, hmm, I got I to gotta slow down a bit with that or else I'm not going to be able to get to one of the and I'm, I'm going to have to do a reset. I'm going to have to do these things. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. And I'm always trying to figure things out like everybody else and, and learning and, and, and adapting and changing. Um, but I, I have to be proud of what I've done and, and, and you have to be or else, uh, um, you know, it's, it's just it's, it's that mindset that I do. But I'm always trying to get better, too. And I'm always trying to figure out ways that I can can improve and 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 be better and, and have better communication with people and uh, be a better leader and and grow. Do you, do you do you practice gratitude? Yeah, not as not not as much as I should, and it's definitely one of those things that that I, I put into my morning routines. Um, but I do think someone whose whose mindset is is really about being thankful. Uh, for everything that we have and if you look at it from that perspective and some of the people that I really look up to are always the people that I'm like hey how are you I'm blessed I'm just I'm so grateful for, for this and grateful for what I have and it's, it doesn't matter what it is they have what they don't have it's it's that mentality and that state of mind that I think with more people having that that gratitude as their main thing and it's something that, I, that I'm working on and I, I do know that it's something that I'd like to continuously be improving improving um, but uh, I, I do have it, but it's not where I fully would like it to be. Do you feel sometimes that, that you've got the weight of a lot of solutions to a lot of problems on your shoulders? Definitely. Yeah, that's a, that's a daily thing. Is Does that then create anxiety or depression or...? Not depression. There is anxiety that I have dealt with. Um, staying balanced and staying, as I talked about, with the hours that I can be to myself and doing the meditation I do. and really slow down is a main thing slowing and being present with with things you can't do it all the time because you got to be thinking about what's going on so there's got to be a lot of thought that goes into the future but it's about how much of you know you are what you think and it's how much you can do of something in order to keep you in that state where you feel you're not getting into a level that's kind of overtaking what it is you're doing so um, I need a good four or five hours a day in order to keep that balance right to take on the day and I try to stop at four o'clock in the afternoon from then on, you know, I'm in bed usually by eight o'clock, seven, eight o'clock. Uh, but at that four, four to six is kind of the time to just veg and do nothing for me because it's, it's. I have a very active mind, and the problem solver mind is consistently asking why with everything, and it can get a little bit out of control sometimes with that. And that's where the, the times to yourself where you can be in the present, and in the time where you're slowing down and, and noticing your walking and 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 just noticing your motion because everything or a lot of what we do is automatic. You're automatically getting into the, into the car uh, when you when you when you open that door, and you're not thinking about it. You're thinking your mind's generally on something else. But the amount of, of, of power it takes to actually think of everything that you it's it's you're thinking somewhere different. And to think of what you're actually doing, like to be very present, is something I try to have as a as a percentage of my time in order to keep my balance from the other things I need to think about of what I need to be doing in the future to piece together this because that's what problem solving is. It's piecing a lot of things together, being able to take things in and take it to many different levels. And that's the thing, the more levels you can put to, if I do this, then this, and then this happens, and then I need to get to this end game, but it's about getting to where I want to be. That can be, you know, takes a very active mind and that's something that I have. So there is, um, there is times of anxiety. There's times of the more you do, the more people are reliant on you, the more 
relationships and connections that you have that you need to deal with, the more you need to think about it. But um, I'm happy with my balance right now. I try to keep it with there. I, I notice when I'm slipping and what I need to do to correct that. And that's where I think I've done a lot of improvements over the years. I think it's really important that people hear there's a human behind the person. And I think that, that a lot of the time we just think about it's very easy to slip into saying your name and thinking about your background and thinking about what you do. And even as you lean into wanting to solve problems from a philanthropic perspective, to forget there's, there, there's just a guy in there somewhere that, uh, that has his ups and downs like everybody else. You know, I, I look at the things that I do and I've got a number of different businesses that, that I run and don't get me wrong, they're all fun. But the thing that, that keeps me the most grounded and the thing that I enjoy doing the most is this, exactly what I'm doing right now. I get an, an enormous amount of joy out, out of talking to people and learning about their stories, learning about what they do. And it's almost like, it's almost like I'm watching a good Netflix documentary, you know, while, even though I'm in it, that's, that's, that's what it feels like. And it gives me a chance. And that's why I like to do them in the evening here in Dubai. And you guys over in the US and Canada and whatnot are perfect timing for me. Because I can come away from that and I can sit, I'll, I'll have a cup of coffee afterwards and I'll reflect and it gets me into that place. And I just feel so grateful because I get the chance to talk to people like you. So it's interesting how it all works out. Well, and, and, and what you do brings this to a lot of people, which is great too. You're, you're getting to speak with, with some people that are going to give many different perspectives and many different ideas to people. So what you're doing is, is fantastic because you're getting it out to a large group of population that are then getting to hear from so many different people. And it's that knowledge and learning that's going to help people, I think, to, to make their way in life. So you're doing a fantastic thing, I think, putting this together as well. Thank you very much indeed. I know we're running out of time, but I just wanted to, just to finish on a, a couple of last questions. When you look at the problems that exist in the world, and so many of them that are there, for me, I, I have my niche, you know, I don't want children to be trafficked. I want to try and do my bit for human trafficking. And I know that it's a bigger industry than the blooming drug industry. I know it's, 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 a, it's a monster. But I have this calling to want to try and make a difference in that, that one area right now. Is there one thing that matters to you the most right now that you're trying to fix? or you think you have a good chance of fixing in one particular area? I think my, my focus is on, is on I, I run my company right now. The idea is to capitalize and or utilize what I've built over the last 10 years in this cryptocurrency space of building infrastructure, tools, interfaces to connect to these decentralized technologies is, is what I've been building for the last long while. It's to, to sell that company and to be able to, to maximize it in a way that I can then give back to because I don't take I don't take outside capital I funded everything I've ever done I, I don't like to be beholden to others so it's to take that so that in the greater initiatives that I want to undertake which is the problem solving of determining the problems that I want to tackle which is still to be determined it's developing the, it's, it's continually to put I have a, a white paper or paper coming out on my what I call perfect formula which is my brand that I'm utilizing for the problem solving framework that I'm going to be bringing bringing out so the idea is to build the case studies. Once I've sold the company, my focus needs to be on, on and I have a duty to, to what I want to do for the company right now, but then be able to create a, a, a model where I'm assisting in developing better business models and better solutions to a lot of the problems that exist using my frameworks with my principles, tools, and processes. And I don't necessarily know exactly where I'm going to go into that's going to have the most amount of impact. But I think it's developing that whole system in place, so then I can kind of go from area to area or sector to sector 
and be able to create uh, uh, gradual improvements in those areas towards, again, more people having winning situations for more stakeholders that aren't being served right now in those particular sectors. So I would say that I need to work on my company. I need to then develop the framework and decide by data that's being there of what are the largest problems that need to be worked on and solved. Getting that data, sorting it, and then deciding how I'm going to tackle it with the frameworks and bringing people together. Like I have a, a space in Toronto that I'm calling like the Justice League, the headquarters of the Justice League of problem solving that I'm building out. And it's literally a space to be able to get my superheroes of problem solving together and descend upon problems using my frameworks to be able to tackle it. So that's that's what I'm going towards. And, and I'm the champion that's kind of taking it through the steps and the stages and deciding which, which problem we're going to start tackling, bringing in all the superheroes that have certain tools or assets or certain powers and areas to help me to put together it and then coming up with a better solution. So it is philanthropic initiatives. What I'm doing in the future, I, I want to disassociate myself with the profit motive uh, because as soon as you bring that into play, a lot of things I'm trying to tackle lead to the, the problems because of this profit motive that exists. So for me, I want to showcase as a leader and as someone that wants to solve problems that I'm going to disassociate myself from things that have to do with potential outcomes that might lead towards profit in what I'm doing. And that's where the philanthropic thing that I really want to make sure, and that's the trust level I want to build with people and showcase that what I'm doing is for being of service. And that's really my goal is to serve using the problem solving that, I, that I've been able to put together. You're one hell of a guy. I tell you that right now. You're one hell of a guy. And you've done some great things. And, and the mission that you're on, I, I genuinely applaud. Fantastic, mate. Genuinely fantastic. It's really commendable. I've got nothing nothing but respect for you. Ladies and gentlemen, give a big hand for Anthony DiOrio. Very good. Thanks so much, Spencer. Great chatting with you. Wow, what a guy, Anthony DiOrio, what a guy. You think about it, one of the co-founders of Ethereum, the man on that mission, what he's trying to do now, what he's trying to achieve, how he's trying to make the world a better place and that just oozes out of every part of him. And um, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, how much success you've had, no matter how much you've built, you've just done a mission to try and, and make the world a better place. Well, that's a mic drop moment for me. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening to this on iTunes, then do me a favor, leave me a five-star rating. If you're listening on any other podcast app, please leave some love, give us a follow, let us know that you're enjoying the show. The more people that do that, the more that we will get reach on this podcast and the more people can benefit from this wonderful content and these incredible guests. I will see you on the next episode of the podcast. So it's always important to mention people that you partner with and partners for the podcast are Najahi events and Najahi tribe. Now Najahi sounds like an unusual word and it is, but it's Arabic for my success. And Najahi have brought some of the world leading public speakers, motivational speakers, inspirational leaders across to Dubai over the course of the years and Abu Dhabi, mind you. And Najahi brought, I don't know, people like Tony Robbins, ever heard of him? Okay, Nick Vujicic, no arms, no legs, no worries. Lisa Nichols, Prince EA, Jay Shetty, Alicia Keys, and people like this. And they bring them in and they run events. And from those events, we go and we learn from these incredible people. On top of that, they launched the Najahi tribe recently, where they have a collective of the world's greatest trainers, that literally you can join, become a member of, take advantage of a training from all of these different people, like real experts in their field. I've got a sneaky suspicion I might be one of them as well. But anyway, <laughs> hopefully you will go and check them out for me because you enjoy these episodes of the podcast. And remember, it's always team effort and I can't do it without the support of these people. So go check out Najahi Events, N-A-J-A-H-I events.com. I'll see you soon.